0: and welcome to Literacy Matters. I'm your host, Cheryl Lundy-Swift. Today, I'm here with Michelle Pastor, Executive Director and Founder of Learning Works, who is a master at all things executive functioning. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you, Cheryl. So, Michelle, I would love for you to tell me about your literacy journey and how it connects to executive functioning. But before we actually have you do mm-hmm. that, could you actually tell me what exec- executive functioning really is?
1: So I I think um, the best way to to explain executive functioning is to think about the role of an executive assistant. So an executive assistant helps guide an executive and does all things prioritizing, planning, organizing, working memory, attention, put something under the executive's nose and says, look at this. (laughs) <laughs> it helps to focus what is happening and executive functioning is basically what happens in your frontal lobe which is the front part of your brain now the interesting part about this is that the frontal lobe is not fully formed until about 24 25 oh yeah and so we we look at teenagers where we have the most growth since infancy and their frontal lobes are all over the place and we're expecting them <laughs> To do all of these things. So the best things that we can do to support our teenagers is to actually teach executive functioning earlier in our grades, exactly where Learning Without Tears focuses their time in early elementary school. That's when it's great to start teaching executive functioning skills.
0: Hmm, I, I love that. Well, tell me how you even got into this. So your literacy journey and executive functioning, how do they connect?
1: So... I was always interested in the science of learning. And when I was in college, there was no neuroscience major. There was no neuroscience field, but I always was drawn to the science of it. So I I went to my master's program at Northwestern, which was a communication science disorders Pro master's, where I learned um, the science behind education and learning disabilities.
0: Okay. And
1: Then that evolved into, I was teaching strategies and I saw that all of my students, um, were struggling with these kinds of tasks, organization, metacognition, working memory. And so even before it had a term, um, these are, these are strategies and techniques that I've been teaching for years, you know, every day. I'm doing executive functioning work with my students. And um, I've actually just enrolled in a course this year that has been fascinating about ex- executive functioning coaching Ooh. with the guru. Peg Dawson is really the person who termed um, executive functioning and she's wow. teaching this class. It's been fascinating that even when I'm the expert in the master, as you called me, there's always something new to learn.
0: Sure, that's fantastic. Please tell me how like the how executive functioning issues if you will show up in the classroom of young children.
1: What do they look like? So in very young children we get a lot of attention the wiggles you know that <laughs> um yeah. the impulsivity the kid who is you know ooh 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 that uh-huh. so there's there's that kind of group of symptomology. And then there's the other piece that can be kind of that spaciness piece where the kid who is just kind of staring into space, task initiation, meaning that um, you hand out a worksheet and you have a student that just stares at it, Mm. no idea where to start. And part of that could be the organization of the actual worksheet that you gave out. It could be that they just need a head start. So it can show up that way. Um also you have the organizational pieces. So you have the kids whose desk is, you know, all of the papers are flowing out. I think of the Peanuts cartoon, the the guy the little the little guy with all the the dirt around him.
0: Pigpen is his name.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. See? I'm having these senior moments. Um Pigpen. So and you have the the, the organization pieces where the, the kid who can't find their pencil all the time, all yeah. of those pieces. So if we think about it and, and, and there are lots of different kind of, I think, groupings of executive functioning skills. Sure. And I would say that every one of us has challenges in, in, in one of the, these areas, right? Yeah. You can't be good at everything. Right. So you're gonna have peaks and valleys in your executive functioning profile. And therefore teaching executive functioning strategies in early elementary grades, helps everyone.
0: That's that's fantastic. I feel like I could certainly use some of these strategies right now.
1: (laughs) Exactly, we all can. (laughs) And Part of it too is our world, right? We are moving at a a very fast pace Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of information coming at us. And our kids are actually, research shows that they are better multitaskers than we are. Our generation is actually can't multitask, even though we try.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, but, yeah. But brains are actually changing, which is fascinating. So, you know, we also add all of these distractions like the phone, screens, video games mm. that have a lot of high stimulation that are a huge distraction to our kids. And they're getting automatic feedback and they want that automatic, immediate feedback everywhere.
0: Yes. So, what strategies can teachers? implement like as early as tomorrow. So uh, someone watching, I'd love them to be able to put them to work tomorrow. What kind of strategies can support children who are struggling with those kinds of like organization and uh, working memory, the spaciness that you mentioned,
1: what what are strategies
0: they can implement right away?
1: So one of the very first pieces that I think is an overarching um, concept with executive functioning is metacognition. And we all think about metacognition of, you know, the actual Latin definition, thinking about thinking. And the way that I actually have translated it is really that it's all about self-monitoring. It's teaching kids to be more in touch with themselves and their own learning. Oh. And that when does, you know, when when I'm spacing out, if I pay attention to it, what can I do in that moment? <laughs> so for a spacey kid, I often teach them, okay, I just saw you space out, did you notice? And if you did, from now, what I want you to start doing is thinking about, okay, I spaced out, Stop my feet on the ground, right? Put take, Tighten your whole body, count to five and release. Oh. Um, another thing that really works well is a grounding strategy. So doing something like look around the room, find, Five things that you see, four things that you hear, th- three things that you smell. You can do it with your senses, which brings your um, which brings your focus back to your frontal lobe, mm. and your frontal cor- Actually, your frontal cortex. Um, and then another thing, or another way to do it is with colors. Find five things that are blue. Find four things that are red. So oftentimes, I will have a sheet that outlines these these different, you know, fine like five a number 5 in blue or four red on a kid's desk. Ooh. And as a and sometimes, you know, if I notice that it, a child is spacing out, I can just point to it and get the student to do it on their own. So that's that's kind of in that spaciness, please. As far as organization goes, right? It's e- it would be easy for me to sit down and organize a kid's desk with them. Sure. But with 25 students, how do you do that all, all day long? Right, You would be spending your entire day organizing desks. So another thing that is a really good way to do this is to take a picture of what a desk that's organized looks like, books in one place, folders, whatever it is, mm. put the picture up and ask children to compare their desk to what's up on the board and to make their desk look like that, so that it's actually initiating, it's kids doing the work. Ooh. They see what a model looks like, and then they can try and work towards it. Um, with, ev- with almost every one of my students, my young students, I would say, I do a weekly backpack dump. <laughs> <laughs> and what I find in those backpacks, I don't even wanna tell you. <laughs> <laughs> But what we do is this backpack dump so that it doesn't get to the point where, you know, we have moldy sandwiches at the bottom.
0: Sure, sure, sure. We may have a
1: little mold, but it's not gone crazy yet. (laughs) Um, And again, we take a picture and say, okay, this is what your backpack looks like when we're done. Let's, Let's work towards that. Um, and something that all teachers do, that's just good teaching practice, is to create routines, right? Mm-hmm. On, Mon- on Fridays, we, cl- we clean out our desks and it needs to look like this. You know, whatever it is, it, by creating routines, we're creating habits. And it takes um, a typical child about three weeks to create a routine or a habit, for a st- student that has a attention deficit or a learning disability, it can often take three months. So mm-hmm. you got to stick with it.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. sure.
1: Now, that's that's interesting that
0: you mentioned. It. Is there an intersection between learning difficulties like, uh, like ADHD, for example, and executive functioning?
1: So absolutely. Um, when we look at the history, our, our neuropsychology um, field, we have lots of different you know what i would say key disabilities right they're the primary disability that you hear about all the time sure. and for a while it was attention deficit basically executive functioning skills are all the things that that a typical person with attention deficit would struggle with
0: mm.
1: so when we think about you know there there are kind of there're two types of attention deficit there's the the one with hyperactivity and there's the inattentive type so, ADHD with, with hyperactivity is the one that gets diagnosed most often in young children. Sure. Right. Those are the kids bouncing off the walls. Those are the kids that we see that we need to, that the teacher is constantly paying attention to because they're grabbing the attention. Right. Um, but the one that, that often slips away in early elementary is the, the inattentive type. And this is our daydreaming kind of kid. Mm. So, they're not causing a problem, they're not drawing attention to themselves. And they're just out there in La La Land having a wonderful time in their brain. And they're they're internally distracted rather than distracted by the fan or the heat or the noise of the heater or the playground noises. Um and both of these kinds of children, children with these disabilities, struggle with these, all of these executive functioning skills. And then you can also have children with learning disabilities that also struggle. So if you think about, if you're having trouble with writing, oftentimes it's because you don't have the organization or the planning, or you sit and stare at a blank screen. And I think we've all done this with task initiation. How do I start? Where do I start? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just going to say what one of the things that happens with the older kids and it starts with early kids is this avoidance strategy, which is not an efficient strategy. You know, <laughs> they avoid the things that that are really hard for them and then they get into a big hole and then they start lying and then, you know, we spiral from there. So if we can teach kids earlier how to address these and strategies for how to st- how to how to start, how to organize, how to plan, how to self-monitor, then it makes it much easier going forward.
0: Michelle, how does this tie to like literacy specifically? Like you mentioned writing, I know. Mm-hmm. But how does how does executive functioning connect directly to literacy?
1: So executive functioning, again, is that frontal lobe that it's kind of an, I see it as an overlay of everything that we do as educators. Mm -hmm. So particularly in reading and writing, um, reading, you have a, you know, your inattentive type is going to be reading and space out and have no idea what they're, what they just read. So without the metacognitive skills of self-monitoring, they won't know until they, you know, they could have read a chapter and been like, where was I? I, I have no recollection. Even if they understand normally, you know, typically how, what they understand, what they read, if they're spacing out and thinking about something else. And we all do this, right? We all read a paragraph and say, or we read a paragraph three times and say, <laughs> huh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but as adults, a lot of us are much more aware. Sure. And so that awareness is really important. So that happens with reading with decoding. It's certainly in organization and planning. If you think about it, we are putting these three letters, you know, we're putting letters together and that's a sequential pattern. Yeah. And we're looking at, so if we have someone who's struggling with sequencing and we're giving them these letters, it, it can be challenging.
0: Of course, of
1: course. And English has a million exceptions. So for if we were teaching a student to try and categorize different syllable types, for example, as we're decoding, there are a million that don't fit into those categories. So it's really hard to do that. Sure. Um, I think writing is the area that executive functioning really comes into play the most. Um, because you're doing so many different skills simultaneously, mm. right? It's kind of the apex of literacy. Yeah. It is, everything that we learn underneath it comes to bear when we write. And so you think about the planning, the organizing, prioritizing, cognitive flexibility in that you're, you're switching back and forth between sentence structure, spelling, content. So I... Yeah executive functioning, the letters and even forming the letters like absolutely yeah yeah or, or keyboarding you know right. if a student's keyboarding they have to get those letters onto the screen somehow
0: yes yes wow that's amazing thank you for that now what what can families do to help develop better executive functioning
1: so um, I am so, so glad you asked this <laughs> because um the I, I'm going to start off with the biggest thing that families I, I wish families didn't do, oh. and as a mother myself, I was guilty of this. Um, and that is sometimes it is easier and faster and quicker in our crazy world to do it for our kids. Yep. <laughs> okay. And I, I am guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. It is so important to teach them how to do it. Yeah. And to give them the skills. So for example, if, um, you know, my daughter used to forget things everywhere. And so in really young, early elementary age, I drew pictures, actually printed off the internet because I'm not a good artist, but (laughs) printed pictures of everything that needed to go in her backpack. We laminated it. We put it by the door with a um, dry erase marker. And every morning she looked in her bag and checked off. Do I have all these things? Sure. Now. It would have been so much easier for me just to say, look, you're missing your lunch. Just put it in there. (laughs) Right, right. But building that habit helped her even now that she's in college. She Mm -hmm. still uses those kinds of checklists. They're not pictures anymore, but she uses that strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, Other things that I like to do is getting children involved in setting up the routines. I see you're struggling to get your homework done. When would be, let's, let's make a plan. When's going to be the best time for you to do it. And I urge families to put a homework routine in place as early as kindergarten, even though there isn't usually homework. We want kids reading 10 minutes of reading, right? You come home from school, you have a snack, it's homework time and to set up a place that is conducive to homework time. Mm -hmm. So I actually, um, an old babysitter of mine is now, has three children. And I love this, she just told me this. In her house, she set up a quiet room. Wow. Where it has a couch and bookshelves and books and she has three kids. So when any of them need that quiet time or they wanna do their homework or whatever it is, that's the quiet room. And I love that because I think that's just a great thing To set up in the house. Sure. Um, For kids with attentional issues, it's often really helpful to listen to music while they do their work because it helps them with that um, metacognition that we're talking about. So Uh in my day, right, we always said, turn off that music. Don't do me, don't listen to music while you're studying. Sure. However, for certain people, and again, we don't have one strategy that fits everybody. So we want to try different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Listening to music, when they start focusing on the music, they know they're not focusing on their work and it's a signal to refocus. It's awesome.
0: Really great strategies, Michelle. Thank you so much for all of this great information, things we can, again, implement right away. We appreciate your expertise. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you.
1: It was great to be here.